You can turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been in this chapter for some time, and unfortunately, we're not going to probably get out of it very quickly, but um, there's a lot to cover and little time to cover it in, so um, you can take your outline and probably hide it somewhere in your Bible, because I don't know if we're really going to go by that outline. <laughs> um, we've seen so far that in chapter 13, it's really exalting love above everything else. And we've learned so far that God is, God's love is exalted um, because, first of all, in verse 8, it says it endures. It says love never ends. And uh, we had a whole message on that, and we explained how sometimes the best way to understand that is what does not endure, and we talked about that. And then we said, well, what do we rejoice in? We rejoice in what does endure, the Word of God and other things, and we, we covered all that. And then last week, we got in a little bit to uh, the point there where it not only um, endures, but it exists when gifts are no more. The reason God's love is, ex- is exalted is because it endures, but also because it exists when the gifts no longer exist. And remember, this church of Corinth had emphasis on these certain gifts. And as we see here in 1 Corinthians, he lists the gifts that they probably had most emphasis on in verse 8 because he relates it to love never failing. And so their focus, rather than being on love, the love of God was focused on these speaking gifts, these gifts that put them in front of people so that they could be seen, namely prophecy, tongues, the gift of languages, and the gift of knowledge. These are all gifts that put you in front of people. You don't do these in your closet. And so it fed their fleshly desire to be heard and to be lifted up and to be exalted in the congregation of Corinth, which was already, at best, a pretty fleshly congregation. They had a lot of issues going on, as we've seen in this book. And so Paul writes this letter, and They're doing all these different gifts, but they're doing them all for the wrong reason. They're doing it for self-glorification. And so he says, you need to refocus your thoughts. You need to refocus your, your emphasis here and put it back on where it belongs, and that being love. And so we've seen here last week, we talked about that these gifts are not going to exist forever. It says there, love never ends. As for prophecies, that's plural. That's the result of the gift of prophecy. They will pass away. As for tongues, languages, it's plural. They will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. And we talked about how the pass away verb there for prophecies and knowledge is the same. And it's in the passive tense. In other words, something's going to happen to cause prophecy and knowledge to pass away. Something else is going to cause it to happen. But he doesn't use that tense when he speaks of tongues. He says, as for tongues, these languages, plural, they will just stop. It's in the middle voice. 
just, they'll just stop on their own for no reason. I mean, for God's reason, but they'll just stop. And so Paul is drawing this contrast between what is eternal, God's love, and what is temporal, the gifts. And so these gifts have an inability to last forever. And we mentioned that the key here to understanding when they will stop is understanding that which is perfect. But I want to spend just a couple moments here because someone asked last week after we were done um, with our, our message, they asked me about, are you sure that uh, the gift of tongues is no longer? And I said, I'm absolutely sure. No doubt in my mind at all. And we talked about last week how we saw that the first place, the reason it was is because it ceased to operate when the New Testament was completed. There was no more any need for it, along with the other gifts of healings and miracles. And all you have to do is, we talked about this, we, we see the, the evidence that the gift of tongues ended with the apostles because it was really used as a judicial sign for Israel's judgment. And as a result of that, there was no longer any need for this giftedness to continue. And we talked about how throughout the Bible, there's periods of time where God uses miraculous gifts, kind of sign and wonders. And that was during the time of Moses and Joshua. That was during the time of Elijah and Elisha. And it was during the time of Jesus and the apostles. And each, by the way, is about 70 years long. And from the time that all this stopped... In Hebrews, it basically tells us, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, the writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and then it says this, and it was attested to us by those who heard. In other words, God gave a, a sign that what they were saying was true. It says, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, this was written around 67 or 68 AD. But here it says this confirmation of what the apostles were doing is already confirmed. It's already done. It's passed. It's kind of like if you're building a house and you dig down deep and you lay the foundation. Wouldn't it be weird to drive by somebody, an empty plot where they're, they're digging a foundation, they lay the foundation, and you drive by the next week, and boy, I can't wait to see the walls coming up. Instead of putting up walls, what are they doing? They're putting another foundation on top of the foundation they laid. And you're going, well, that's kind of weird. And then you buy, drive by the third week, and they have another foundation on top of the second foundation. You would say, that's, that's not going to work. See, the foundation of these gifts, these miraculous sign gifts especially, was to give credence, give credit, uh, confirmation to those who were bringing this message of the gospel. And then thirdly, we said that the tongues ceased because they were an inferior means of edification. Uh, It's tough to be edified when you're listening to somebody speak a language that you don't understand. And we've mentioned before, these were languages. It wasn't some 
somebody just standing up and babbling. That's not what the original language means. It was, and even as it's used in the Bible, it was always used as a language. It says they heard them in their own tongue when they had this gift being practiced in the book of Acts. And so it ceased because they were an inferior means of edification. And then fourthly, we said that the gift of languages or tongues ceased because its purpose as a confirming sign of the apostles' authority and doctrine ended when the New Testament was completed. And that's true. When this book was completed, there was no need to confirm whatever anybody else was saying because the canon was complete. And also, if you look throughout the rest of the New Testament, you'll not find the gift of tongues. It's used only in some very early New Testament books. It's not throughout the whole, the whole New Testament. Um, Paul mentions it only in this letter here. But James, Peter, John, Jude, they, none of them make any mention of it at all. Nor does it appear in the book of Acts after chapter 19, verse 6. So it seems clear that even in the New Testament, it stops. Whereas knowledge and prophecy, it says it's going to fade away. Something's going to come, and because of the thing coming, you're not going to need them anymore. So eventually, they're going to fade away. But with tongues, it says it will just stop. It will cease. And then we said, finally, history tells us that you look just at, at secular history. This, this miraculous gift uh, appeared only very um, occasionally after the apostles were confirmed and everything was done with the New Testament. It only uh, appears a couple times, and every time it appears, it's in a pagan sense, or it's in a sense where a heretic is <laughs> propagating it. And so we've seen that over 1,800 years, the gift of tongues, along with the other miraculous gifts, was basically unknown in the life and the doctrine of the Orthodox Church. Now, it wasn't until the 1960s that the charismatic movement, the modern charismatic movement, began to practice what they call tongues. But it was never part of the main church all those years. It was never even part of the, the Reformation doctrine. It never belonged in the church. And it didn't become mainstream in Christianity until about 1901. So you have 1,800 years where you don't have it at all, and then all of a sudden, what do they say? Whoa, it's, 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 it's coming back. But that's not what the original language says. It says it will cease and it will stop, period. It won't come back. That's the understanding. And so what they do is they turn to a prophecy that was used in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, you can turn over there if you want. Acts chapter 2. Because we're not denying that this, 
this is going on today in, in, in the charismatic movement. Obviously, people think they're using this gift. Well, what is going on is nothing of the sort, at least not in the biblical use of the gift. Now, in Acts chapter 2, they use this verse to say, well, this is why we believe it continues. In Acts chapter 2, this is Peter speaking, and this is at Pentecost in the new church, and it says in verse uh, 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my word. So he's getting ready to preach. Listen up. For these people are not drunk. What people? The people that were just speaking in, in languages they don't know. <laughs> it says they were not, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he uses a prophet out of the Old Testament to explain what's going on here. And it says, it was in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit. And this is what the charismatic, modern day charismatic movement uses to um, say that these, all these gifts are still continuing today. He says, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the blood to moon before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, if you go back to Joel, Joel chapter 2, little prophet there near the end of your Old Testament, this is what Peter's referring to. Well, what is he saying here? He's quoting it almost verbatim. And so they say, yeah, see, this is, this is indicative of, of the Spirit coming in all these miraculous uh, tongues and miracles happening for us today in the church. But if you look at the, the message that Joel outlines there very clearly in verse 28 of Joel chapter 2, it says, and this is what Peter was quoting, but it says this, and it shall come to pass, what's the next word in your Bibles? Afterward. We know what afterward is, right? I mean, it's, it's something that happens afterwards. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Oh, wait. Well, so the, the prophecy actually has a time frame attached to it. Well, what's the time frame? Notice he says there in the last days, what the, the, the charismatics say is God is going to pour out his flesh or his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy in dreams and visions. It's interesting to me that tongues are not mentioned here. <laughs> it's not mentioned. Even if you want to believe in the other miraculous thing, tongues is not mentioned in this prophecy. So they say we're experiencing 
this last day outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have problems with that because the reason you have problems with that, if you just jump back in the prophecy to verse uh, 20, Joel chapter 2, verse 20, he puts everything in context. This is what's going to happen. And then he says, after this stuff happens, that's when I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. So verse 20 says, I will remove the northern uh, the northerner from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. And the stench and the foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Hmm. So Israel is going to be confronted by a northern army. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? You know your eschatology, you know that to be true. Um, well, when is that going to happen? The Bible says it's going to happen during the tribulation. During the tribulation, Israel is under siege by this great northern power. You can read about it also. I'm not going to take time this morning because we don't have it, but in the book of Daniel. And they'll be under siege by this great northern army but the northern army will be defeated. Well, when is the northern army defeated according to Scripture? When does this great victory happen? It's when Christ comes in the great victory of what? Armageddon. That's when this plays out. What happens immediately after Armageddon? As far as we know, the setting up of the kingdom. Christ returns at Armageddon. He wins the victory judges the nation, sets up his kingdom. And that's what Joel is talking about here. The northern army is defeated in verse 20. Immediately, you come to verse 21, and what's it say? Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Well, what's he speaking of here? He's speaking of the kingdom. Look at what it says in verse 22. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, and the tree bears its fruit. And the fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. And what they say here is, so see, this is, this is what we're saying. This is, the, this is the pouring out of his spirit. The latter rain and the early rain, that's what that means. No, it doesn't. It means rain. That's what it means. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? There's going to come a time in God's kingdom when, you know, right now you, the land is parched. But there's going to come a time, and in Israel, you would have the early rain, which happened when? It happened in autumn, in the fall. When was the latter rain? The latter rain was the springtime. And they didn't get a whole lot of rain in between those two times. And what Joel is prophesying here is there's going to come a time when both what you used to get, the early rain in autumn and the latter rain in spring, you're going to get all at once. It's going to be overwhelming. Because it's going to be part of the kingdom. They're not going to have need for anything. 
That's why he says in verse 24, Joel 2, 24, the threshing floor shall be full of grain. Why? Because there's not going to be a drought because you got all this rain. And the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore, restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper and the destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Now remember, he's speaking here to who? He's speaking here to Israel. He's saying there's going to come a time when this is going to be true of Israel, of God's chosen people. You shall eat plenty, be satisfied, and and what? And praise the name of the Lord your God. Why? Because they're not doing it now. When are they going to do it? They're going to do it in the kingdom. They're going to do it in the kingdom. Who has dealt wondrously with you. And he says here, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. What God is saying is that, you know what, even though you've rejected me, even though you've turned your back on me, all this is going to change in the kingdom. The Bible indicates that even um, those in Israel will realize that, wow, you know what, we actually, we murdered the Messiah. <laughs> we, 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 we are convicted over that. And they will come to understand what it means to have faith in the true Messiah, in Christ Jesus as Lord. This has never happened in Israel before. This is all the stuff that's happening up to this point, this is what the prophet's going to, this is going to happen. In the, in, the, in the kingdom, this is what to look forward to. And then, in verse 28, he says, and it shall come forward to pass after all this stuff. Oh. Even today in the church age, this stuff is not happening in Israel. Israel hasn't turned to the Lord. Who are they worshiping? They're, they're worshiping their armies. They're worshiping their might. <laughs> They think that somehow still they can pull this off without God's direct help. And it's only going to get worse for them. It's going to get to the point where you're going to look at Israel and you're, there's going to no, no hope for them. But in the end, they will cry out to God like they always have. And guess what? God, because of his grace and because of his mercy, what will he do? He will grant them belief. He will grant them salvation. And so it says, after this, after what? After the kingdom has already begun, then, then I will pour out my spirit. See, the prophecy, this prophecy cannot be fulfilled until after the kingdom is established. It can't. There's no way. So then he says, that's when I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions, and upon the servants and handmaids in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And he goes on there to discover how that day will come. Look at what he he says in verse 30. 
How are you going to know when this day is here? Well, here's what accompanies the pouring out of the Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Look at this, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Have we seen that? I don't think so. We've seen a lot of smoke, but not to this degree. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In other words, all this, he says, will follow this great judgment, and then the kingdom will be set up. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. You just read it. It's right there. You don't even have to know the Hebrew. Just read the English. So after the army of the north has already come down, it's been defeated, after the kingdom has been set up, after the day of the Lord, then I will pour out my spirit. The same thing, if you want to take time, go over to Ezekiel chapter 36, the exact same thing is said there. So you can't just pull verses out of context. Well, Peter said this in Acts, so that's what this means. No, it doesn't mean. And by the way, do you see tongues mentioned anywhere here? Let's just be clear. It's not even mentioned. Yeah, you got people seeing visions and all kinds of stuff, but you don't see the gift of tongues. Why? Because it ceased. It's not going to be around. Even in the kingdom, it's not going to be around. So we have to stop and we have to get very <laughs> honest with ourselves. There's no tongues there. Why? Because tongues ceased. They stopped. Just by themselves, they just ceased to be. Why? Because they were just given as a sign to who? Not believers, but unbelievers. It was a sign to Israel. And so he tells us that very, very clearly. And so you say, well, then why does Peter quote this in Acts 2? Why does he even do this after they just got done speaking in languages nobody knew? Because he's saying, you know what? What you're seeing here? He's telling the, the people who were questioning how wow, all this stuff is going on, what's going on? This is just like a glimpse of what's going to happen in the kingdom. You have no idea. You think this is crazy. Wait till the kingdom comes. I mean, you're going to see all kinds of stuff. Amazing stuff. I mean, you know, the, the Bible says, you know, it mentions blood there. It's going to be up to the horse's bridle. I mean, that's crazy. Think about that. That's a lot of blood. But that's what the Bible teaches. And so when we stop and we use this, this verse, our loving, charismatic friends who speak in tongues say, well, no, Joel says, no, Joel doesn't say. It doesn't even mention the gift of tongues. And so when you put all that together with what we went over last week, I just find it very hard to believe that people still believe that the gift of tongues or languages is active and for today. And you say, well, what's really going on there then? I mean, I'm sure maybe, maybe you haven't, but if you've ever been in a charismatic church, you've probably been around people who speak in tongues, what they call tongues, or maybe you've seen it on TV. It's kind of different. You can't understand what they're saying. Um, early on in my, my Christian walk, my nephew and I were traveling across country, and I happened to see a tent and camp meeting, you know, and I was 
brand new believer, and I thought, I'm going to this, this camp meeting thing over here. And I remember walking into this tent, and it was obviously a very charismatic group of people, which I had no idea what they believed or whatever. And um, it was very awkward being there for me. Because all around me, there was people who were falling down and speaking, and just, I couldn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> it was really odd. And I just remember thinking, boy, that is, that is weird. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable there. Um, well, what, what, what do these people, what are they doing? If they're speaking in this, they say it's their, their angel language or whatever, and we've already said, well, whenever angels talked in the Bible, they always spoke the language of the people they were speaking to. They didn't have to be interpreted. So they take this portion of Corinthians where the gift of languages wasn't a blessing, it was a problem. <laughs> and they try to make it for today. And you say, well, you know, I have some friends that are charismatic, and they, they say they speak in tongues. What are they doing? What is it? Are you denying it happens? No, I'm not denying it happens. It happens all over the place. I think there's some suggestions why it's happening. I think one very plausible suggestion is that it's not from God. It could possibly from a, be from a demonic force. It could be satanic. And I know, you know, don't run out of here and tell your charismatic friend, oh, you're, my pastor said you're filled with it. I'm not saying that. Okay, remember, the, what we're focused on here is what? We're focused on love, right? They love the Lord as much as we do. They really do. And they, they, they love his word. They, they're just caught up in this one area. And, and maybe it's, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not demonic. It could be. And for those people, obviously, they wouldn't be believers if they were doing this. And the reason I say that is because you have people like Mormons who don't even believe in the biblical Christ who speak in tongues. You have people who are of the Catholic faith that have their salvation theology all mixed up. They speak in tongues. And throughout history, you've had all kinds of people. I mean, just do, go on the internet and, and, and look up, you know, people who speak in tongues. It's not just Christians in this babbling language, they call it. So could it be of a demonic origin? Yeah, I, I imagine sometimes it is. I think secondly, and probably one of the best explanations is why people do this, is because they're taught to do it. It's a learned behavior. You know, I've done a lot of research on this, and I've listened to a lot of people who speak in tongues, and I've never been able to discern, well, that, that's a different one there. They all sound the same. They got the same rhythm. They got the same accents. They got the same pronunciations. Why? Because someone taught them to do it. And the real hardcore charismatics, the real Pentecostal, you know, sign and wonders, kind of, they make no apology. When you go to their church, they'll ask you, are you a Christian? Yes. Their second question is to you, do you speak in tongues? 
And if you answer that question, well, no, well, then you're not a Christian. That's what they believe. I mean, they may be sincere as a day is long, but that's just not biblical. And so what do they do? They take people that come to the church and they say, well, let's, we gotta, you got to get the gift. You got to work for this. You know, you got to ask, beg, plead the spirit of God for this gift of tongues. I, I never forget when I was a new believer, I was traveling across the country and I read a book. I was reading a book by um, Pat Robertson called Shout It From the Rooftops, I think is the name of it. I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know charismatic from non-charismatic. I didn't know anything. And he, he, he spoke in there about how to speak in tongues. And I didn't really hadn't had anybody disciple me. And uh, this was even before I was, went to that, that tent. So it was brand new, and I'm reading, and I'm thinking, and I remember, and, and part of my Christian life was, Lord, give me this gift. I mean, how does this happen? You know, I was just intrigued. I didn't know any better. I was very immature in my faith. And I guarantee if someone were able to take me and, and, and take me through the, the whole learning thing, and this is what they do, they, they say, well, look, just, just relax, just praise the Lord, you know, empty your mind of all things, focus, just focus on the Lord, now just open your mouth, now just, just move your tongue, just, just move your tongue. And, and if you're somebody like me, you're like, okay, what's, nothing's happening, you know, because you're just kind of a factually based person, right? You're not looking for some big experience. And, but these people will take you, no, just, just like baby language, just blah, 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 and they'll, they'll start talking in their tongue. And then pretty soon the person's like, oh, okay, and they're just doing it. It's a learned behavior for some. And it's an experience for them. I mean, you know, peer pressure is, a, is an incredible thing. I mean, you can get people to do a whole lot of things with a little peer pressure. One time we were at a uh, Promise Keepers event, and I remember we were there in this group of men, kind of before it went south, but, and, and, you know, wonderful worship experience, whatever, but at, at some point the speaker said, well, you know, those of you who came with your pastor, you know, you, you get your pastor and you lift him up, and, and I'm just like, whoa, what is this? You know, and I get, you know, they were talking about Moses having this. I get the illustration. It was just really weird to me. And I just remember looking around like everybody's doing this. I wanted to run. Um, so, you know, when you have a crowd of people, and you can get them to do a lot of things. And that's where a lot of this comes from. So it could be satanic. It could be more likely just they're taught this. This is the way they're raised. This is what their church teaches them. No one ever teaches them anything like this. And if you don't believe me, just ask those of you who have friends that are caught up in this movement. Just honestly ask them. Show me in the Bible where you can show me that what this tongues thing is. And usually they'll give you, well, you know, I, it just edifies me. Well, how? Well, it's just in my prayer closet. It's my prayer language. In my prayer, what does that even mean? And we're going to get into that to chapter 14 because that's kind of what they were doing here. And Paul does not recommend that. So it could be taught. And then thirdly, it could be psychological. I mean, it really could. Um, you know, have you ever seen the videos, the old videos where, you know, you have these young girls and they're going to like Beatles conferences, concerts, 
and they're, they're just nuts, right? I mean, they're, they're screaming in voices like they don't have, and eventually what happens to them? They pass out, right? They like go comatose. You're like, what is that about? That's, that's psychological. That's, that's the brain telling the body to do something that's abnormal. You know, we've, we've heard, seen indications where sometimes, you know, people are gifted with superhuman strength. Like they lift a truck off somebody in an accident. And they're not the strongest person. Why? Because they're just so, their body, their brain is telling them to do something and they just do it. So some of this could be psychological. Um, you know, it could be hypnotic. I mean, if you watch these people who operate in this environment, inevitably they always have the music playing in the background. And they have a ringleader who's kind of orchestrating the environment. And, you know, it's, it's orchestrated. This isn't how the Spirit of God works. Now, if someone were to get up and that didn't know French and spoke French in front of a French congregation, spoke the Word of God, if that happened, if that's what, the, if that's what they were referring to, then I'd say, well, I don't know. But that's not what they're referring to. They're referring to something that no one understands. And we're going to explore that more in the 14th chapter. But what's interesting to me is when you come to our text here back in Corinthians, it says very clearly here that prophecies, knowledge, they're going to fade away over time. Something's going to replace them. Tongues will just stop, period. And then it says in verse 9, for we know in part and we, what? prophesy in part. So he leaves tongues out. Why? Because in his mind, they're done. He doesn't need to talk about them anymore. They were, they've already ceased. But he says, as far as knowledge and prophecy, we know in part. We don't know completely. And some people say, well, you know, when you become a Christian, you have full knowledge. No, you don't. You don't. You know, that's why he goes on here and he says, what? You know, um, we know in part, we prophesy in part. When he says down in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly. See, the Corinthians would completely understand what Paul is talking about here because they actually manufactured mirrors out of metal in Corinth. That was one of the industries that was there. And if you've ever looked at a, you know, maybe you've gone to a circus or whatever and seen those weird mirrors, right? Well, if, if it's a metal of mirror, sometimes it, it can distort the image, right? And this is what Paul is saying. Is that, you know, now we just see in a mirror dimly. We don't, we don't have full knowledge. We don't have complete understanding of all these things. We know in part. We know in part. And I think that's, that's what we need to be reminded of. I mean, the knowledge of God is an incredible thing. We can't bottle it. We can't just pack it up. Even as Christians, we don't. It says his ways are beyond our finding out. But it says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will what? 
will pass away. Verse 10, but the perfect comes. Some people say, well, this refers to the Bible. And there's verses there. You can look all these up. It refers to the Bible. The only problem with that is you have prophecy and knowledge continuing. Think if, if, what that, if, if the Bible, when we got the Bible, prophecy and knowledge stopped. What is prophecy? Speaking forth the word of God. It kind of goes against Jesus' command, right? I mean, you, you, you wouldn't even be talking about the Bible if you don't have prophecy and knowledge. So it can't refer to the Bible for a myriad of reasons. Some people say it refers to spiritual maturity. Some people say, well, it refers to the rapture or the second coming of Christ. Some people say it refers to love itself. When love comes, then... I believe the only answer, really, that makes any sense at all is that the perfect is the heavenly state (laughs) because it's only then that we'll have full knowledge it's only then that we're not going to need any bibles we're not going to need any pastors we're not going to need anybody (laughs) only then is when We will be face to face. And so he uses verse 11 kind of as a a reprimand. He says, "When when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I I gave up childish ways. He's telling the Corinthians, grow up. Put aside these, these, these gifts that you're pining after and understand the more mature thing is to what? To focus on the love of God that's gonna last forever. Don't be worried about who has what gift and can stand in front of the people and everybody can go, oh, look at them. Look at the language they speak or look at this or look at that. That's what they were doing. And Paul is saying, no, stop that. He says, there's coming a day when we will see face to face. We will know fully and we shall be fully known. That can only refer to when we have our glorified bodies. Either when we die and go to be with the Lord or the Lord comes back at the rapture and we're, we're ushered into heaven, be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And so he says here at the end, verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is what? The greatest of these is love. And so he doesn't want us to be misunderstood. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't want us to be pining after things that aren't really going to matter for all eternity. And by the way, we mentioned that when the perfect comes, it's in the original language, they have um, male, female designations. They also have one neuter, a neuter tense, like it's nothing. It's just an inanimate object kind of a thing. So it refers to the, the perfect as being in the neuter gender in the Greek. You have, you know, you have masculine, you have feminine, you have neuter. And so the only view that really 
holds true is that the eternal state, heaven, is neuter. It's, it's not masculine or, or feminine. And so it fits, fits that as well. well. We'll continue this next week because we're out of time. But I just pray, I wanted to spend time in Joel tonight, this morning, just to make clear to you that prophecy has to do with the kingdom of God, not the church age. We're not there yet. And so we, we need to be in prayer about these things. And like I said, don't run out of here and, and you know, if you have friends that are in the charismatic movement, just love them. Love them. If they ask you, well, what do you believe that's different, then you can share with them. But, but you know, it's not our goal to divide the body of Christ over this issue. And unfortunately, it's become a very divisive issue. And so their, their experiences are very real to them. I just think they are misguided. And so let's bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll have one song and then be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the missionary time we had and the update of me, and we pray for him and his ministry and Theo. And Lord, we uh, thank you for just the gift of being together as the church and being able to have communion together. Lord, what a blessing that is. And Lord, we pray that our fellowship would continue across the way with the food. Pray you'd bless that to our bodies. And Lord, we just ask now that you would dismiss us with your blessing. Father, that we would do everything we can within our power to serve you with, with everything we have each and every day. Lord, there's a world out there that's lost and dying and on its way to hell. And Father, there's people that need to hear the glorious gospel message of Christ that Father, it's not what we do, but what was done for us on our behalf through the cross. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, maybe they grew up in the church, maybe, maybe they, they profess Christ, but God still seems very distant from them. Whatever the experience is, that's not salvation, because once you come to faith in Christ, you know that you know that you know that he holds you in the palm of his hand. You know that his sacrifice was sufficient to meet all of your sin, to forgive you of all your sin. And you know that he will hold you fast until the end. So if there's any here this morning who are questioning their own salvation, I pray that they would take that question, not to me, but to you, Lord, and that they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, Father, I want my faith to be real. I want it to be genuine. And the Bible indicates as such that we're to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. And Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's